Hello, it's good to have you with us this evening for the May and June issue of FAA Safety Briefing Live, which will focus on aviation communication. I'm Paul Prydecker, once again, joined by my friend and colleague, Susan Parson. Hi, Paul. How are you? Good. This, this issue is devoted to aviation communication, which is one of my favorite topics. And as always, there's opportunities for WINGS and AMT credit. So how do we do that, Susan? Well, the easy way is to click on the link here that's highlighted for our Wings and AMT credit. You go to the page, uh, there's a 30-question quiz, I promise it's not hard, and take the quiz, get credit for the course, and hopefully the other thing that we want to encourage is not just taking the course and getting credit, although that's obviously a good thing, but we hope that, that these presentations will also encourage you to dive into the magazine in more depth than we can cover in just the one hour. Sure. This is, this is just about trying to show you what's there and what you can learn if you dive in a little bit further. So That's great. That's the idea. So the, the format from the magazine, it, it's the magazine for general aviation. It is. Uh, we try to be different. You know, there are a lot of, of industry publications, and we don't try to be like any of those. We're not. Uh, we we aren't those. But the other part is they can't be us either. So we can be the safety policy voice for non-commercial GA, and that's what we try to do. So our goals. So we we have particular departments. Um, they all have a purpose that we um, we're pretty careful about trying to fulfill every time. And then our specific goals you see on the page there, um, safety and regulatory issues awareness. But the one that I think is very, very important to all of us and certainly to you and me is to encourage continued training. You can never train enough. Every flight is a training flight in my world. I'm always, <laughs> I'm always learning something and, and it's fun to do that or I'm trying yeah. to teach something you know, on, on every flight. And we, we should not take communication for granted. Oh, and, gosh, that's, no. and that's the spirit of this issue is aviation communication. We communicate all day long. We use communication as aviators. However, it has to be trained and there were some lessons to be learned. So what will we find in this issue, Susan? Well, these are the features. Uh, obviously, our departments, many of them are supportive of the focus for each issue. And we do try to have a focus for each issue, as one of my colleagues puts it, shelf stability. But we also hope that not only will it be topical, but some of these will be able to serve as reference material later on. So we've got uh, some several articles about how important it is to speak the right language, ways that you can learn to speak the language and get better at it. Um, some things about equipment. Uh, I had a lot of fun with no-go on the radio. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk about that when we get to it. I'm going to give you an update on NOTAMs because they are part of aviation communications, not a popular one, I must say. Um, but they're getting better. And then we'll talk about flight service, which is turning 100 this year. That's an interesting piece of data. I, have, I had no idea. So let's move on. and. The first, the first column, which is the um, from Rick Domingo, is my boss. He sort of tees up the points about communication, and he starts out with a famous quote. And there's some things in there about the uh, assumptions of communication. Well, I think the quote is something like, uh, "The most dangerous thing about communication is the illusion that it has taken place." And we all know how many how many times do you say something? And you think it's perfectly clear because you know exactly what you wanted to say. And the other person is clueless. 
um, as to, to what you intended, and you neither of you knows that you haven't communicated. And I, it always reminds me of one of the things I learned. It's, it's one of the early lessons in flight instructor school that um, communication occurs only when the sender and the receiver have the same idea. And that doesn't happen nearly as often as it should. Well, there's certainly some possibilities for some disconnects. And I, mm -hmm. I think as, a, as, a fl as flight instructors, we've both been in a situation, and I'm sure many of our viewers who are flight instructors have been in a situation where we're doing our very best to communicate a certain principle or a point. And we're looking for understanding. And a nod to the head does not necessarily mean there's understanding. Sometimes we have to delve a little deeper and question to make sure there is an understanding. Well, and the, well, in languages, because I've, I've studied quite a few in my time. And when you talk about the nod of the head, it reminds me, um, years ago, when I worked in the State Department, I lived in Bangladesh. I gave my cook a recipe and I wrote it down in very careful English on a piece of, uh, or an index card. And it was for a salad that was supposed to be in the refrigerator for an hour before it was served. It was supposed to be chilled. And when I got home from work, he came running out to the car and says, Madam, please come and see if the salad is ready. And I went inside and he opened the oven door and there was my salad bowl covered by aluminum foil. It had been in the oven for an hour instead of in the refrigerator. So I couldn't bear to disappoint him at the time. I said, well, I think it's ready. <laughs> he served it. Uh -huh. I didn't eat it. Um, and we talked about it later. But the thing was, I thought that I had communicated and I thought he understood because like some students who don't want to contradict, he, he didn't want to admit that he didn't know. And I think that's one of the points that's made in this, um, in this opener. There is no shame in seeking complete clarity in communications. And in fact, the shame is the other side. Of course, in, in teaching and working with ATC and work talking to your mechanic, as we'll talk about later, it, um, we, we do our best, but there's always room to improve. And I, and I think that, um, you know, the key part is not only in the person delivering the message, but listening is also a skill. Oh, and absolutely. Art. Yeah. And making sure that you're, you're listening for the right thing too. So, um, that that gets us to the next piece, the importance of speaking plainly. I had a lot of fun with the. I'm sure you did. I know. I know that's your article. So I play with words. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plain English is critical, and um, we in this article, one of the things that I, I kind of talk about is we are fortunate if you are a native English speaker, then you've you've got it. You have an advantage, but you're not home free because aviation English is a particular animal. And so for a couple of reasons, the pilot controller glossary, this is a, a little bit of a plug for that, which um, there, there have been times when I've just sat down and I know it sounds, maybe it's, maybe it sounds like I need to get a life, but I have sat there and looked through it to see, oh, well, that's what that means. And that's what it says. There are about 2000 if you include all the um, abbreviations, but uh, one of the things that you can do in addition to studying it, kind of like I did my mother's French dictionary when I was a kid, um, that was sick too. Um, <laughs> but you can create a template, which is what I did early on. You can use some of these tools. But one of the, if you look at the last three there, avoid non-standard terminology, not only for the pilot controller and for other airplanes, but 
remember that in, in a lot of places, and where I live in Arizona, there's a lot of flight training going on. In places like Florida, a lot of flight training, and they are not all native English speakers. In fact, there are a lot of non-native speakers. Sure. And so it's very, very important to use and stick to standard phraseology, speak clearly, concisely, and precisely. And the last one is, no matter how fast the controllers go, it doesn't mean you have to do the same thing. No, certainly not. And I, I think that I think that pilots try to uh, let their ego come out a little bit by making no. yes, <laughs> by making sure that they can keep up the pace of what's ever coming at them. But um, every pilot at every skill level, uh, sometimes things just don't work out that way. And the best thing you can say is to say again, or please repeat it, or, or if you have a question, ask. And every air traffic controller will tell you that they'd rather have a question for, to get clarification than to be dealing with some problem down the road because of miscommunication, because accidents have and can mm -hmm. occur because of miscommunication. The, the, the pace of communication from air traffic control is, is something that uh, we're all familiar with. We've, we've all, heard of and uh, Chicago O'Hare for sure yeah. and certainly some others. I, I had a student years ago who was uh, an instrument student and we were in um, in the uh, coastal California region and the controller issued just a extremely fast holding clearance and my student looked at me and said what did he say and I, I, I sort of shrugged my shoulders and said ask him again so she asked him again you know to repeat it and he gave it back at the very same pace, which was almost unintelligible. And this student was pretty street savvy. And after the second time of hearing a rapid fire communication, she keyed up the microphone and said, center, if you fax me a copy of that, I think I could do it. <laughs> so we got a chuckle. He got the point. We got a clearance and we went into the hold and it was fine. Of course, now we do air, you know, that's right. Do, Airdrop, text, air, whatever. Whoever text it to me would probably say text it to me. Here's my number. And, okay. And I think the key to all of this though, which is stress time and time again throughout this is that we're really looking for brevity in, mm -hmm. in, in communications, brevity and conciseness. Um, years and ago, preciseness. and preciseness. Years ago, there was a television show series called Dragnet, I, uh, and the um, main lead in that, Jack Webb, Sergeant Joe Friday, he was famous for saying, "Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts." Yes, yes and that's what we need to remember yeah. when we're dealing with air traffic control: numbers, clearances. Just the facts. We don't need to repeat everything absolutely word for word. No. Well, and there, there are ways that you can practice, and that kind of takes us to the next piece, Paul. Let's do it. Push, yeah. push to talk phobia. Yeah, who's ever had that? So, yeah, I, I know the first time, you know, English is my native language, and I always joke, I speak several languages, including a couple of dialects of guy. Um, don't ask me which ones. We'll talk about that later. But I, well, the first time I heard aviation radio, I just, I remember looking at my instructor like, huh? What mm -hmm. and it did it takes some practice and in in my day um I had an aviation radio and I was able to listen to the Dulles Tracon as it was at the time it was before into Potomac. I I used to set the radio up on the dresser while I was getting ready for work and listen to 
ATC. Well, now um, I have a live ATC app on my phone. I mm -hmm. can just tune in. I heard you one time because I dialed mm -hmm. into the right frequency. Mm -hmm. And there, this, this article goes through some of the many, many, many tools that are available right now. You can either listen or uh, that sim. I know some people who got to be really good by using that one. Plain English, um, random scenarios, you get real-time feedback. Redbird, they have a, a something called Parrot Software that simulates, and then Pilot Edge is another one. All of these, and you know, please understand, we're not recommending any of them, but we're just saying the, there's a lot there's out a there. There's a lot of stuff out there, and all of them provide. This is important in the bottom, a non-threatening way to learn and practice radio communication and aviation. Because it, it does require some practice, and and. I, I trained at a at a non-towered airport years ago, and you know to move from the non-towered airport to a, a you know a class D or a class C airport, it, it's a little bit of nerve wracking because you don't you're you're a little bit nervous that you're not going to do it right, but controllers are used to that, and many times they'll work with you and you know make mm -hmm. sure that you understand. But the amount of technology that's out there to help us with this, I think, is is excellent. And I think the one thing that's also important is re remember that when you listen to airline pilots on the radio, you you get the impression of they're they're at ease with this. Um, they've done it so many times, and you know people think, well, I wish I could just be a, that proficient. Keep one thing in mind, though: in the airlines, the person on the radio is not flying the airplane, right? And that's a big difference. Yep. Um, if you're not flying the airplane, your brain is freed up to to sound really good. sound very good, especially <laughs> when you've gone into the same airport hundreds of hundreds of times. As a single pilot or as a crew environment, we might be going into an airport that you haven't been to before. It gets back to um, brevity is a good thing, and just stick to the facts. Emulating, you know, somebody who's trying to do everything word for word is simply not necessary so again in the airline world it's easy because the person who's on the radio is not flying the airplane you're not multitasking so we'll get yeah. to that a little bit later the other thing that uh, although I, I think it's mentioned in here but i know it's mentioned in some of the other articles as well i found it immensely helpful when i was learning to make a template and i just had the basic framework because it is a framework who you are, where you are, what you want to do, and write mm -hmm. that down just as I could glance at it, and that would remind me that I needed to go through these steps. So it wasn't like writing or reading a script, but it was just having you know, talking points. So that was helpful. And and it's a it's another thing that I've heard a lot, and I, I deal with on a fairly regular basis. If you're going across the country or from one center to another, it's common to have multiple frequency changes, and you might have a you know change from one center to the next. I've often had um, a flying partner say, um, who are we supposed to contact or what center right. are we talking to? My advice is they actually know who they are. So <laughs> just say center. You can just say center. Right. And they'll they'll give you the answer. Right. I don't worry too much about whether it's Chicago or Indianapolis. If I forget um, who I just got transitioned to, I just say center. It always works out. Yeah, they know who they are. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I remember that. So. Um, um, we get next into your, a little bit of the technology. Yeah, your colleague Tom Offen wrote a very nice article on from paddles to pets. 
Yeah, so it's a little I, bit of history. There. I love the title. Um, it was it was a lot of fun because I love alliteration. Most people know that. Um, Paddles to Pets. It, it's it, it's a little bit of the history of aviation communications, but what this piece really focuses on is how to make sure that you get the most from the equipment that you're using for aviation communications. And the the common thread through it is know your equipment and take the time before you try to use it in flight to understand it because in the heat of battle is not the time to be saying, wait a minute, how do I get to, or how do I do this, or how do I do that? Well, we've often talked in previous episodes about making sure you understand your, your GPS yes. and your automation. This is the same message. As technology has become more and more sophisticated, you need a little time on the ground to re maybe refresh yourself or to learn um, in, in some of the the specialized avionics that are on the market now discovering that there are five options on how to change a frequency is better done on the ground and maybe picking one that works for you so knowing your avionics and as well as your gps and your adsb and everything else will save you some time oh absolutely in the in the aircraft that i'm flying right now um None of them are the same from a, they're the same aircraft, but they're not laid out the same and the avionics are different. And it does take just a moment even to uh, sort out how do we turn it on? How do we transfer frequencies? Just, it just takes a moment to refresh that. Can learn that. Well, the other so. thing, when I, uh, when you talked about the five steps, when G1000 was new and there are lots of iterations of it now and the menus are not as deep as they used to be, but, um, well, the first couple of people that I tried to learn from, they were so eager to tell me about all six or 10 ways to do any given function. Mm -hmm. And my advice to people and that started with what I, the only way I could do it myself was pick one, use it consistently, and you will eventually discover the rest. But as long as you have a method that is comfortable and works for you, that's all you need. Um, the other thing that, that I think, although some of the, the panel-mounted certified GPSs have become more touch-intuitive and so on than they used to be at the beginning, there are an awful lot of apps and electronic flight bags out there, and they're different. The way they're laid out is different. And every time there's a new release, there's new stuff. And sure. some of it is useful, some of it is not. But I know that that the one that I use most typically, uh, they they have videos. When they do a new release, they do videos that show you what's new and how to to do how to work with it. So this is again the common thread and or the thread that goes through all of the elements in this piece is if you want to get the most of communications and make sure that you stay safe know how to use whatever equipment you are planning to take with you. And then the last one, always have a backup. Indeed. Know what to happen if, if something fails, because it will. And, and certainly, um, Tom makes a good point about headset technology, um, whether you use passive protection mm -hmm. or the active noise canceling. I mean, all these are, are wonderful things that, that do help us, you know, communicate better because of all the background noise that's eliminated. So there's so much out there to help us communicate we just have to take advantage of it and the other thing that that, that tom addressed in the article which i um is obvious um 
is that tools like ADSB, that is a communication tool. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we have ADSB in, we are getting information that gives us weather information or maybe traffic information. So even that is a communication tool that is, you know, in the form of written rather than spoken, and that we need to know how to how to use it and process it. Know your equipment. There's the know it cold, and then um, again, the, they have a backup plan. So what shouldn't we say on the radio? Ah, no go on the radio. This was a fun piece. I, I, I've actually had a lot of feedback about this one. Um, I, um, that, well, a story I tell on myself years ago, there was a show on HGTV. Uh, no, sorry, not HGTV. It's TLC, the Learning Channel, which made it educational, right? Um, it was called What Not to Wear. And the, the, the way that the formula worked was that somebody would see a friend who really needed fashion help. So they would do secret video footage and then the hosts of the show would come and, <clears throat> and show this person, this is, who, this is how bad you look. And they would give them the rules and send them off mm -hmm. shopping. And at the end, they would be transformed. And I always watched it because, hey, I wanted to be transformed too. Um, but when I was flying around, I, I always thought, wow, if I could just take this formula and use it, call it something like what not to say, because how many, oh my goodness, how many times when you're flying around, you hear these horrible things on the radio. So mm -hmm. I just had this fantasy of making a tape of it and tracking the person down and giving them the rules for sounding professional on the radio. So um, there, were, there were a bunch of rules in here. I think it's 10. Why not have a top 10 list? Mm -hmm. But it's uh, one of them is do not copy the audio mistakes of others. Uh, there are some things out there that, I, I think some of us, we all have our pet peeves on the radio. I, the Any traffic in the area, please advise. It is that's, not that's in the not aim. A, it's not in the aim. It's nowhere. In fact, they say mm -hmm. don't use it, but so many people do. And the other one that really bugs me at non-towered airports is taking the active. Now, I, I always describe that to students or people that I was flying with. If I caught them saying that, <clears throat> I would say, you know what? That's like throwing litter out the window. You have cluttered the frequency and offered me no useful information. I have no idea which way the active is. Uh, you need to put, if you're going to use that word, you should at least put a number on it. Because what I'm listening for is I need to know where the traffic is, which way it's landing, who's taking off, how to get in. And so, so taking the active does not sound cool. It just sounds like you're trying to be cool. Well, and I have a couple of others. Oh, good. <laughs> One is five miles out. Up from where? Out. What direction is out? So a little precision could make that a lot more five understandable. Five northwest. For example. Yeah. And then for the instrument pilots, announcing to somebody that you're over some five-letter intersection inbound on the ILS actually might not have very much meaning to a VFR-only pilot. So it sort of works both ways, that if you're an instrument pilot, you might be involved in an instrument procedure, but giving distance and directions in terms of understandable parameters is probably better. Absolutely. And there's some other rules here, too. You know, don't be long-winded. We've always talked about that one. Another one is don't have personal conversations. I, I remember um, 
one time in particular where two pilots and it was on the common traffic frequency that everybody was using on a busy Saturday, they were talking about some party that somebody was hosting at their hangar. And they were, I, I was wondering how they would feel if I suddenly turned up at their party because, <laughs> Hey, I was on the party line. So why not? <laughs> um, but, but there, you know, it's, I've tried to, to take a, um, a humorous approach to it, but it's a serious subject. And there are things in there such as do not say Roger and act like you understand something that you don't. That's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, don't, don't hesitate to say you're unable if you need to, if, you, if you're not able to do something, and, it's the magic word. And the all time favorite standby. Yeah. We'll get to that one. Yep. Um, and, uh, the, the last one that I put in here is never hesitate to declare an emergency or to ask for help if you need it. Because as we have talked about and any controller will tell you, um, they would much rather be involved in the problem sooner because the chances for resolution are much higher. It's a, it's a fun piece. And I think we've all you know, heard examples of, of excellent communication and we've all heard good or heard examples of communication that's not as excellent. And, you know, we're always trying to strive for excellent. Well, if uh, I always wanted to be Stacy instead of Stacy and Clinton and, you know, on the TLC show and run around and say, here's what not to say rules for the radio. Very good. Yeah. So, what about the sound of microphone music? I see. Oh yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, mixing up shows with movies. So yeah, I love sound of music. And so this one, the subtitle, the ABCs and the one, two trees of um, aviation mm -hmm. music, I mean, aviation English. So in this one, uh, one of the things I get into, and I really had fun with this uh, in looking into the spelling alphabets, um, the, what uh, we, we have the AK or it's called a spelling alphabet and everybody should be familiar with Alpha Bravo, et cetera. But it turns out that there were multiple versions of it before. Um, the 1932 one, which I didn't know about before, used mostly geographic names, which, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, hey, if you said Casablanca, my airplane is Casablanca something or other, that'd be kind of fun. It's also a movie name, of course. And then there was the Abel Baker version. And this one had Roger for R. And I tell the story in here, as I always say, if it's not true, it ought to be why it is that we say Roger on the radio. Um, and uh, the other thing I point out about the crew. Well, it goes back to the Morse code, right? Yeah. Sure. Well, in the Morse code, an operator to, to indicate that they had received and understood the transmission would transmit an R. Mm -hmm. And in aviation, which borrowed a lot from other technologies, the way the story goes is that pilots needed a way to say that they had received and understood the transmission, so they transmitted a Roger. Just imagine if it had been Romeo back then, what people would be going around on the radio <laughs> saying, Romeo, Romeo. The other thing I point out, are you, are we going to say that? About no. Romeo and Juliet? No, you were. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, I love the fact that Romeo and Juliet are both in the current ICAO spelling alphabet that we use. Um, and sadly, just to, as in the play, they are tragically separated far apart, yeah. by a lot of other letters. The, the 1941 version in the military, Abel Baker, uh, Charlie, that mm -hmm. in fact was the first phonetic alphabet I learned because my oh. dad was in the Second World War sure. and he taught me that phonetic alphabet, which um, of course eventually was replaced by our current one. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's an exception, just a bit of trivia to the phonetic alphabet that we all know so well, and that's in Atlanta, Georgia, when you're operating in Atlanta Hartsfield, because oh, of the sure. yep, because right. of the most popular carrier there right. is Delta Airlines. Right. When they're speaking of taxiways in Atlanta Hartsfield that are designated with a letter D, right. it's not Delta, but it's Dixie. Oh sure, and that is that is a local variation of. It uh, has to be, uh, right? So that there's no confusion about their mainline right. carrier, and um, just another story about a student I had some time ago who oh. really, really struggled with the phonetic alphabet. Um, he was trying to tell a controller where our destination airport was, and what came out as the first letter was that's E, as in Xlax. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Oh, that the controller left. So, oh, well. always some chuckles. Always some chuckles. The, I, I was also I, I found out I found it funny when I was learning that numbers were. I, I never thought that tree or five were particularly mm -hmm. special, but come on, niner that just sounds cool. It does sound good. So, yeah. I mean, aviation English is is a cool thing. And then the the formulas here too. The who whom you're calling if you remember mm -hmm. um, who you are, where you are, and what you want to do. I can still hear my first instructor saying, Susan, it's really easy. Just who you are, where you are, and what you want to do. And that has stuck with me ever since. Thank goodness. Yeah. And I mean, in the busier environments, you it has to be brief because mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's too much congestion on the frequency. So sometimes you just have to keep it very simple. So... Speaking um, of simple... The next, yeah, the next topic is <laughs> modems. And I, I have often said to you in a yes. public way that yes. it looks like the NOTAMs are the FAA's version of an IQ test, but it must be getting better. Uh, it is. Um, one of the things, so so I've, I've been diving into the subject of why are NOTAMs so hard over the years, and lots of other people have too, and the, the FAA's been working on it, but not just the FAA. The, there are an awful lot of people and organizations that are involved in the production of NOTAMs. And I remember this guy who was early in on the project. He showed me this diagram and he says, well, as before he turned it around to look at, to let me see it, he says, we call this the hairball diagram. And as soon as he turned it around, I knew exactly why he called it that, because it showed all of the different pieces and the moving parts that go into NOTAMs that I had no idea. And all of it had accumulated over the years. And there are people who were trying to untangle it, unravel it, but they can't just blow it up and start all over again. So one of the things that I think um, the FA and all sorts of third-party providers are trying to do is get away from products like NOTAM as a product, but NOTAM is pieces of information that can be assembled in different ways. And that's one of the, the beauties of digital. So this article talks about the digital NOTAM tool, the flight service portal, FA mobile, third-party innovations with some of the, the ways that it, it is getting better. Um, and then this, this is an important piece at the end. There, there's a, a, a single repository that's going to make archiving and searching easier. But I can tell you that, and I know this is dating myself, it sounds like um, it's already a lot better than it was. I can remember years ago when you had the NOTAM Ds, Ls, Ls, and, and the Ls were not, it didn't appear anyplace else. And I remember going to Sun and Fun the first time, flying from Virginia down to an airport in Florida. And the NOTAMs, because you, you had to be in the area to get the local ones, 
I heard about volcanoes and uh, vol um, yeah, volcanic activity in Montserrat, but the NOTAM briefing I got at flight service and a walk-in briefing back mm -hmm. then, it didn't tell me a thing about the temporary control tower at the airport I was going to. So there's, there's, well, it's something I say about other aspects of life too. It's not, it, it's, it's a lot better than it was, but not nearly as good as it's going to be. And the important point too, um, is to make sure that regardless of the format, we, we realize that it's evolving and yeah. getting better. We have to check them. Yes. It is so easy to, to go mine them when you're looking at, uh, you know, screens and screens of NOTAMs. Mm -hmm. However, I, from personal experience, I've embarrassed myself a couple of times by not appropriately checking the NOTAMs because Oh, it's only a 25 mile flight. It's a clear, beautiful day. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> that's your first problem. <laughs> and that's my yeah. first problem is right. to, to make that assumption that what could possibly go wrong. So I'm glad to see there's some changes and some improvements. But the most important part is they're, they're not to be ignored because they can, they can save you. Well, and for those who um, are impatient with waiting until the FAA system is better, there are a lot of third-party providers that already really fish them out and serve up just the ones that you need. Um, and they do it in plain English, plain English and in, you know, sentence case rather than the shouting format and mm -hmm. so on. I think the fact that they're on all capitals actually is intimidating in some mm -hmm. way because it looks, they're just hard to read. Well, it's hard to read. And in our culture, our digital culture, all caps comes across as shouting. So. Anyway, it, yeah. it, it, you, you make an excellent point. Yes, it is challenging. It is getting better, but regardless, um, we have to look at them. For sure. For sure. The next one is um, sort of an anniversary birthday of flight service. Yeah, coming up on 100. Who could who, who wow. have thought? Yeah, so, so there's a little bit of history here about uh, how flight service got started, and James had fun looking into that. But um, what this article really focuses on is stuff that if you use the flight service um, systems, I have an account and I've been watching it over the years get better, mm -hmm. is, gosh, they, they un there is the understanding that pilots have gotten much more into self-briefings and web-based briefings. And so flight service is going where the pilots are online. Indeed. But and that third bullet or the next to the last bullet emphasis on web services and self briefing because that's what people want. However, specialists are still there if there's something that catches your eye that you want to that you want to talk about. So there is no one correct way. You get what you need, and if but but here's the, here's the thing: if you are doing a self briefing and you don't understand something or you want to talk about it more. You've got this lovely free option here to call up a human being sure. and have a conversation. And I certainly I started flying at a time when you could actually go into a flight service I did station. Too, yeah. And right. the my nearest one was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. That was deactivated some time ago. But certainly I've seen some around the country. But I've even in the in our digital world and with all of the available tools tools that we can use. 
I, I needed to call one just a few days ago to cancel an IFR flight plan because I was at a non-towered airport and there was no other communication tool. So get out the cell phone and call flight service and have a little conversation with them about my flight plan and it went very well. So, so sometimes we can go back to the basics. Yep. So, and uh, sometimes the very basics is to just talk to another human being. For sure. So flight service is a great option and happy birthday flight service. Indeed. So your colleague Tom Hoffman has another article, Angle of Attack, about aviation English, please. Yeah, in this one, we talk about the fact that uh, it's, it's a, a common theme. Misunderstandings can occur if you think that communication has occurred when it hasn't. And misunderstandings, it's one thing when you're on the ground, but it's, it's dangerous and potentially very dangerous, even fatal if you are in the air. And we can all think of examples where it has been. Um, Tenerife is certainly a Tenerife, classic certainly. example. But um, this, th this is another reminder to us that the United States is a very popular flight training destination for a lot of countries, um, historically has been, and eventually I hope will continue to be after mm -hmm. we get through this um, public health emergency. But um, we, we have to be mindful of the fact that English is a complex language and aviation in English is on top of that and that we need to be very, very respectful and mindful of the fact that other people are maybe coming from different um, first languages. And some pilot deviations, lots of them are attributed to these English language issues. So there's, now, there's always been a requirement for an airman to read, speak, write, and understand English, but ICAO and the FAA have been looking at the standards and if you look at the next to the last bullet, it talks about the um, aviation English language standards and the ICAO standard now go far beyond just memorizing a bunch of words. Um, the interactions is probably the most challenging and complicated thing, but um, we need to do that. And if you're, whether you're a, a student or a pilot or certainly an instructor, you need to be familiar with what it is that is the standard for aviation English. Well, and just as we think as native English speakers that aviation is a language all its own, of course that applies to people whose English is their second or possibly mm -hmm. their third language. And it, I was at a, a conference perhaps a year or so ago, and one of the presenters from an aviation, um, collegiate aviation program in, um, in Florida was making the point that when non-English speakers come to the U.S. with a reasonably good command of the English language, when they took their English lessons, they were prepped on how to order coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> not, not necessarily how to speak aviation. So right. it's important, especially important, to make sure that the same emphasis we put for ourselves is also put for people whose mm -hmm. language is, English is not their, their first language. Mm -hmm. And in training, because I've been involved in a lot of training situations mm -hmm. where in the course of normal conversation, a person might be able to carry on very well in their mm -hmm. conversation. But in the in the simulator or in an aircraft with things happening and, and the plane moving at 200 knots or you're having to do with emergency procedures, if there's any gaps in aviation language, 
that's where you're going to see them. So it's important to to look at the standards from FAA and ICAO to Absolutely. to be more proficient. Although before we go on to the next piece, which we need to do, I will say come back and tell you. I think it's awfully important to know how to offer to order your coffee at Starbucks. I know you do. I know you do. Yes. Okay. All right. Our next one's on drones, and certainly the drone community has become a major part of the national airspace system and for hobbyists and professionals alike. And there has to be communication there between the drone operator and the and the observer. Um, there's lots of information on the FAA website about this. Well, there is, and this this piece points out uh, the good communications with the FAA. That is, that's that's talking about using FAA resources to keep up with information, uh, specific information about UAS operations. There are a couple of links here. Um, place that you can go to ask questions. You can follow the FA on social media. The FA has a really active social media presence, um, lots of people who are engaged in that. And we have webinars, digital print media, and now on the FAST team, we have drone pros who work mm -hmm. with us. So, so this communication piece is talking about, yeah, there, there's a classic communication that's important, but it's also about communicating or, or being uh, aware of and reaching out to use the resources and the information that is available to you um, in both for drone specific things, but also just for um, being familiar with the, the airspace and the, the whole right. way that aviation works, the, the NAS, as we say, the National Airspace System. I never knew the term NAS before I went to work for the FAA. Now we use it all the time. So NAS, that's one of those TLAs? Three-letter acronyms? Yeah. All right. Got it. <laughs> All right. So the next one okay. is our, our feature piece on um, uh, aviation maintenance. Mm -hmm. And just, just like pilots think they have a language all their own, mechanics for sure do. Oh, yeah. And it's important to, I would say, cross-train ourselves so that as owner-operators or as renters, we can speak maintenance. Yeah, I, I got a book. I still actually, I, it's one of the few paper books I still have because most of my books are electronic now. But I have a book called Airplane Systems, and I read the thing cover to cover, not thinking that I would be a mechanic. I actually read it several times. But because I wanted to have an understanding of what people were talking about when they talked about cams and lifters and mm -hmm. this and that's and the others. And I, I never... You know, if you ask me to diagram an engine, I probably couldn't do that. But I at least understand some basics. The, another another thing that this piece talks about is when you are going to a mechanic or a repair shop, um, that it's there are some questions that you might want to ask that um, that would be useful to you. And the other thing about learning to speak the dialect, there there's something I'm sure that you must have seen on social media. It's out there everywhere. It's these supposed maintenance write-ups, something oh, sure. missing on the engine. It says missing part found, mm -hmm. you know, that sort exactly. of thing. So we need to learn how to be specific, not just, it sounds funny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so this is a, an open dialogue, and open dialogue is important in every part of aviation, but it, if we have to make a little bit of extra effort to learn the something of the maintenance dialect, it's definitely worth it. Absolutely. The next one, on, uh, vertically speaking, uh, starts out with one of our favorite movies, which is about yeah, which Apollo, is 13. Apollo 13 yeah. and, and how that um, movie demonstrated the importance of communication about 
trying to solve a problem that there wasn't an easy solution for. But it's then develops into um, as pilots and passengers or other people in helicopters can also perform a role. Well, absolutely. Uh, everybody aboard, th this is written in the helicopter article, the rotorcraft article, but I think we, the, the idea that everybody aboard any aircraft could contribute to passenger safety for, a, on a number of occasions, I have taught a course, um, I call it the Cockpit Companions course, mm -hmm. and we've done stuff where we talk about all the ways that passengers can get involved and be helpful. And it's good for the passengers because it gives them something to do. And it's good for the pilot because instead of being that single pilot responsible for absolutely everything, you got somebody to help you out and sure. give you an extra set of eyes. I, I always tell people, um, you know, what, watch for traffic. If you see another airplane, don't assume that I did show me, That's right. you know, point it out to me. Um, and the other one, this is always tricky, but it's assess the pilot's health. Often somebody who is close to you is in a much better position right. to assess your health than you are. Um, so listen if your flying partner is telling you, hey, you don't look so good today. Are you sure you want to go flying? That's right. It's, so, it's good advice for everybody. Absolutely. So, and our next one is about silence. Actually, it's the title is Silence is yes. Golden. But um, this, uh, I, I kind of dived into multitasking with this one. The fact that, uh, well, first of all, we all have to be reminded. I know I certainly did when I was learning to fly. And the aviate, navigate, communicate. You have to aviate, keep the airplane flying, point it in a useful direction as the navigate, and then you communicate. So communicating, though, tends to take on this urgency. And I think, uh, you know, you reminded me of this never drop the airplane to pick up the microphone piece when I was talking about doing this. So multitasking. I don't know where I first heard that, but it might have been our friends, John and Martha. I, I think that, that sounds, sounds like something right. like them. Yeah. Um, but they're, multitasking really isn't multitasking. It's task switching. Mm -hmm. And it is not only inefficient, but it actually is, it's detrimental. It reduces mental performance, trains the brain to lose focus, increases stress and anxiety. And that if we're trying to do too many things at once, we could very well pick the wrong thing or just divert. So this is about recognizing that silence sometimes is the best response uh, now, the other thing, and here I'm dating myself again, but there was a TV commercial for Candy Bar that was really mm -hmm. popular a few years ago. And the, it, it, it was different situations, but it was need a moment. That's how I remember That's it. Right. And what happened was something, somebody would be holding the candy bar that they were selling and some situation would come up and the narrator and the person would look very wide-eyed and then the narrator would say need a moment and so they take a bite of the candy and chew well your need a moment phrase for atc is stand by exactly it, it tells them i heard you i'm busy i'll get back to you that's right and it's it's a lot i think if i were teaching pilots the two most important words slash phrases unable and stand by and how much does it cost? Well, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> All, All right. right, moving on. FAA faces. You earlier today you described 
uh, Sarah as a Renaissance woman in oh, aviation. Oh my goodness! If you uh, if you ever have a chance to know Sarah, so first of all, some people may have seen Sarah. She has uh, done some videos for YouTube, especially for AOPA and the ASCA controller. It, she's pilot instructor, builder controller at the Potomac Tracon. Um, real and she. So she, she works with some of the most complicated airspace in the country. And she is very, very, she loves to get out and speak to her fellow pilots. And she always wants people to know, talk to us. If you don't understand something, let us know. And if and don't keep secrets, as you see there. If you, you've got so many resources and all they care about is helping you get back on the ground. So um, Sarah, she flies, she's, um, she's building an airplane. And somehow every summer, this lady has time um, to organize and run the Women Can Fly event at the Warrington Airport. And I've been fortunate enough to work with her on that several years. So I, uh, since I moved to Arizona, that's a little bit more complicated to do, but I still have to keep in touch with her. And if you ever have a chance to look at some of her stuff, um, she's she rocks. Well, and as a frequent user of Potomac, Tracon, they're some of the best. I, they have yeah, to be. They really are. Uh, I think we're on to aviation medicine now. We are. We got a couple of columns here, and mm -hmm. they both are connected to communications ideas. Of course. So Dr. Mike Berry discusses in some detail you know, hearing loss, the fact mm -hmm. that many people have it or will will have it, and that it's not it's not a deal breaker. Um, it requires some medical flight tests in some cases and some evaluation by your AME maybe a soda or a statement of demonstrated ability. Um, but it's a it's a good summary of of what you can do if you're facing this. Yeah, and uh, the, the complete deafness uh, is possible that uh, in that case, you would not be able to fly where radios are required. And in these is in this day and age where there's so much with data link, I think there are lots of possibilities. But uh, years ago, I knew a pilot who had um, a pretty severe hearing loss, but had managed to keep flying, but really had, had become a specialist as a glider pilot and instructor, because um, the sound of silence is truly golden in, mm -hmm. in glider flying. But, Certainly. but, but there's, there's some good information there about uh, considerations for medical certification if you have a hearing loss. And the next one is really about recognizing it and and preventing it and talking about the various noise levels. What I've seen sometimes, and it's certainly not the right approach, but I've, I've seen people in the flight deck with some very expensive ANR uh, headsets that of course work very well, mm -hmm. but when they walk by, walk beside a jet engine, there's no hearing protection. Oh yeah, right. So it, it, it's, important to pay attention to just prevention well prevention and one i i was reminded of several things when i was going through this piece cumulative exposure is one of the reasons that we tend to have problems over the years um and nowadays because all of us we use headsets and earphones and airpods and all the other things you might not be familiar you might not be aware of just how loud it is and um uh, I, I, I try to keep mine set at one of the lowest possible levels because I want to make sure I'm not doing damage. But bottom line, always wear hearing protection and keep in mind that if you're walking around outside with jet noise, that's pretty noisy. Well, it is. And even 
as as an operator of, of small jets, even how you how you manage your jet on the ramp is important to make sure that you're you're not just blasting the noise back towards other people. So there's some awareness that you can do to kind of help everybody out. So both of these were, were were good articles, both on you know what you can do if you're facing it, as well as you know just some basic common sense prevention. Um, next one is as we begin to wrap up here a little bit is um, our ATIS, which is Aviation News Roundup, and there's always some good information here. There's a new advisory circular about sharing aircraft expenses. Yeah, um, new safety alerts. Um, for those who use the compassion call sign, there's been some changes to that. And there's uh, you know, the NTAP, which I don't know too many people actually use that anymore, but it's officially being discontinued. Um, this is part of no, the No, this is to Airman Publication. Publication, yeah. Yes. Sorry. And It's a four-letter acronym. I know. And the um, the camera program, I think it was the last oh, yeah. session we talked about the we did. cameras in Alaska and how some other airports and some other cities and we states did. are adopting it. And this one talks about some of the efforts in Colorado. Yeah. And then the last one, laser strikes, it still blows me away that people would actually point lasers it's, at airplanes. But it's such a huge issue. Um, don't do it because and it, report it if you and see report one. it if you see it or heaven forbid experience it so just um good reminders there one of the things i like to look at in, in the issues is is feedback yeah. on, on the issue and how do how do people send send in their you know, information well you've got a couple of addresses there but we get a lot of feedback now via uh, we we do have a mailbox and we do monitor it often we typically will respond um, pretty promptly, and then unless somebody has said, please don't print this, we, we like to print it so that other people can benefit from whatever the Q&A is. Um, so, so yeah, there. and then we also have, as I mentioned before, we have a very active social media presence um, and uh, our Twitter feed, and we do um, respond to questions that we get through that as well. So very good. lots of ways to talk to us. And there's lots of ways to, to find, find us. us. Yeah, we uh, now last time we uh, so we're still on the the same page. The last time we talked about the fact that we, uh, we we used to offer several mobile formats, but it turned out that the one we they weren't being used as much. So we still have the PDF, which is the standard, but we're also publishing articles now in. Um, with single articles and links to them. And we send an email out every month that has links. Um, we used Adobe Spark for a while. We're transitioning to another format, but it, it's just all about making the content available in as many ways as we possibly can. So you can always find us. And if you want the paper edition, there's the address to subscribe. And what about archives? Um, yeah, there are lots of, uh, we have archived issues going back, uh, I can't remember how many years, but there are a lot of them easy to go find and look at specific articles. So Very good. Very good. Well, a compliment to everybody who puts the magazine together and the design team and, of course, the authors. It's, um, it's, it's well done. Okay. I, I enjoy looking at it because, of this, as we talked about earlier, we're always in training, and I always, you know, learn something when I, you know, Work, work through the magazine. Well, we have a lot of fun putting it together too, because uh, we we go back and forth a lot, and we 
we try to be we try to, to make it fun because aviation sure. is funny. It is fun. It's one of the it's one of the best things ever. So so we have the next issue. Um, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about this, but you, but you probably do. I do. You want to take a guess? Uh, there's no crying in aviation oh, or or we human factors, maybe. Uh, human factors, yeah. Well, you cheated. You okay. Um, so yeah, we're we're gonna do in the next issue a focus on human factors, and I can already tell you that. Um, you know, when you say human factors, it sounds like such an abstract thing. And I was trying to make this, mm -hmm. it's, this is not abstract. We are all human and at uh, whatever age we are, there, there are just particular human characteristics that we never quite outgrow. Um, the tendency to panic is one and throwing your hands up. Uh, the, I think that's the, the baby face palm look, which is one of yes. the reasons I liked it so much. Um, so yeah, that, but but we're taking a, a fresh, shiny look at human factors, and I've enjoyed writing for that issue. It's about ready to go into production, so Very hopefully, you, you hopefully we will you will enjoy reading it. I'm sure I will. And once again, just a reminder of how we we can get uh, wings and AMT credit. Uh, repeat of the slide. Um, it's a repeat of the slide, and I also wanted to point out that oh, on this um, spot, you, you have the opportunity to go and get archived issues. Um, we have all sorts of, um, all sorts of, you, you can do not just archived issues, but you can also get archived versions of this presentation. Mm -hmm. So you can get Wings credit going back to, when did we start doing this? March of a couple of years ago? Two or three years ago, no, perhaps. No, it's been a while. Yeah. So... To all of you, we wish you well. Stay safe. See you next time. Take care.